Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins. Thanks so much for stopping by and checking this episode out. Because you're here, I'm going to assume that you are a graphic designer or a creative and you love print, or at least you think you love print, but you just like are holding hands and you're not quite having a relationship yet. You're just like not quite sure about things, but that's okay. We'll, we'll get you real acquainted. I love print, obviously. That's why this show is here. And if you want to start learning more about print and dabbling in that print design world, then the best place to start, it's completely free, is the link in the description of this podcast to our YouTube channel. On our YouTube channel, we are teaching little bits of print here and there, design stuff, exporting file stuff. It's good. And you got to check it out, especially if you want to create any kind of print or are interested in print or want to get in there. So check out that link in the description or just go to Print Design Academy on YouTube. Check it out. Now today on the show, my guest is Nathaniel from Studio Foley. He's out of Fargo, North Dakota, been in the game for over 15 years now, and most recently landed a sweet design gig at a brewery. During this episode, we talk about awesome inspirational packaging from his younger years, Optimus Prime, of course. And we also get into the recent, kind of recent, rebrand and restyling of Easy Riders magazine. We talk a little bit about that. And Nathaniel's not the first one to mention that magazine, um, which is super cool to hear. I still want to get my hands on one. I haven't found one. But it's pretty cool what they have done with that, with print, just switching things up. The deep dive in this episode is about a project that he created while he was working at NDSU University for a dining and residence life guide. And I don't want to give too much away because the photos on our Instagram and Nathaniel's description of it will be way cooler to see than me talking about it. But essentially, there's four different covers on this thing. There's a bunch of different papers involved, and it just looks awesome. I saw this on Instagram, and I absolutely had to have him on the show to chat about this. So... I'm going to stop talking and let's get into it. Hit the intro. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Nathaniel, welcome to the Print Design Podcast, man. How are you? Good. Awesome. I like your uh, your plaid. It's very on brand for Print Design Academy for you to be wearing plaid. Well, it's uh, awfully chilly here today, so it's more out of necessity than fashion. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I'm going to kick this off with probably the toughest question, not only because it's the first one, but also because it involves you talking about yourself. And I usually find that that's one of the hardest things to do. But um, Nathaniel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, my name is Nathaniel Navratil. I live in the lovely Fargo, North Dakota area with my wife and two-year-old. Uh, I've been a graphic designer now for, gosh, probably 15 years. I uh, run a, like a lot of people you interview, I run a freelance side business. Uh, 
that I try to focus on, mm -hmm. brand identity and illustration, called Foley. And then I just recently took a full-time gig at Drecker Brewing Company, which is also a local uh, company. So Sweet. I'm basically working two jobs right now. <laughs> Sweet. Two is better than one sometimes, maybe? Uh, on the pocketbook, but time, I don't know about. <laughs> yeah, I bet it eats up some time for sure. So getting into print now, Nathaniel, what is your earliest memory of printer packaging? Something from your childhood, maybe your teens? So I thought about this and came up with two or three that really stand out, but I picked the one that is probably the most fun. So mm -hmm. I probably around like six or seven, maybe younger. I was like a lot of kids born in the 80s. I was super into Transformers. Yeah. So I remember getting my first Optimus Prime, and it was actually a pretty um, not-so-kiddish piece of packaging. I mean, it's all kind of stealthy black. There's some classic vibey 80 lines through it. But the thing that I remember the most was on the back. I don't know if you remember, they had this um, kind of scattered, uh, coated area, and inside of the box was this semi-transparent um, piece of plastic okay. that was red and when you slid it over there it was like this secret message to you that I mean it was gibberish it was just like their speed and <laughs> strength and stamina and stuff useless yeah. information but for a six-year-old it was like this is so cool and like what is this technology like it was just mind-blowing at the time um, and the other weird thing about it, I don't know if, if there's any transformer nerds out there but the character on the front of the box mm -hmm. was a cool like airbrush style illustration but the funny thing is instead of illustrating the character from the cartoon it's like someone looked at the the toy as the visual example oh yeah so it, it kind of had a weird look to it and even as a kid i was like oh that's kind of funny but it <laughs> turns out it's because hasbro or whoever just bought a bunch of japanese toys and brought him over here, and the cartoon was literally just to sell the toy. Yeah. So that's the cartoon character probably didn't exist at the time when they made the box. But anyway, definitely worth checking out because they're super cool. And those are the good um, old so days, was, like when when the cartoon was made to sell a toy, to sell products, <laughs> right? Like how often is that done now? I don't think Pop. I don't know. Maybe Paw Patrol or whatever is is done that way. At least it's working that way. Yeah, I'm my my son's only two, so I'm still so. Like, I don't know what's in right now or mm -hmm. the cool thing, but everything to me toy wise is too bright and flashy. And, but like those old eighties stuff was like, you know, GI Joe and transformers, they were a little more higher minded or I don't know, just cool for an adult even. Totally. I don't I, know if things no, are I completely agree. watered down now or what, but. Things are very. That one was definitely a standout. <laughs> yeah, things are very in your face these days, right? Where it's very like it needs to like jump off the shelf and be like super bright right. and crazy, um, you know. But back in the day, it was like you you knew what GI Joe looked like, like you knew what you were looking totally. for when you went to the toy store. 
And it's amazing seeing some of that stuff now, you know, 20, 30 years later, where you go into these sort of older antique toy stores or antique stores and you see the old packaging and how it was, you know, originally done, whether it's an action figure or, or toys for Transformers, things like that. It's really cool to see. It still brings back all of those, all of those feelings of nostalgia and all of those like Christmas morning feelings and that kind of stuff. 100%. Yeah, it was like back then, They whoever designed them was like, let's just make these cool because they should be cool, not like let's get in the mindset of a six-year-old and what would they want to see. It was yeah. same with cartoons in general. Like, I don't know if anyone's ever seen like the old 1986 Transformer movie. Like that thing was badass. Like there was swearing in it and I remember <laughs> like tons of characters, like main characters died and it was like, awesome it's a big deal but that won't happen nowadays that's for sure <laughs> yeah exactly yeah too many uh too many reports <laughs> yeah just... yeah there were some angry letters from parents i heard so <laughs> perfect <laughs> so fast forwarding a little bit what about recently have you had any recent interactions with any print or packaging that really surprised you or you really enjoyed yeah actually um i kind of took a break during you know the last year of not going anywhere but yeah. Not too long ago, I went and browsed Barnes and Noble. Okay. Like I like to do that when I get stuck and just looking at book covers and stuff. I always gets, mm-hmm. you know, the creative juices going. So, I found. I don't know if anyone remembers the old Easy Riders magazine. It was kind of trashy. That's like yeah, that like was like the one that always had a picture of like a Harley Davidson and a girl on the front yeah. in like a bikini yes. or something, right? Yes, yeah, 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 there yeah. was always some woman on the front. Well, anyway. Yeah. I saw that it had come back, and I had um, picked it up literally just because of the cover and the mm-hmm. um, just a really quick flip through. It's so beautifully done. Um, like most magazines don't even do like thick uncoated covers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I immediately gravitated towards it because of that. But inside, it's literally a beautiful piece. Like the photography, there's a typography. Um, system in there um i haven't read much of it yet <laughs> mainly just look, looking at it yeah. but um even the the one of the little standouts too is the fact that they did some of the details like on the back here mm-hmm. they embossed that logo just that little bit that little guy right there which i could totally see how you know how many tens of thousands of magazines it probably wasn't a ton of money at that point mm-hmm. but just that they convinced whoever's paying the bills to like yeah, let's do this little thing right here. And yeah, I would encourage anyone to go check it out. It's a lot different than what it was back in the the 70s. Yeah, you are the second guest actually that has brought that up. Um, Oh, no way, Way back like within the first five episodes, I believe it was. Oh man, I want to look this up so I don't get the... Oh, that's... So I don't get his name wrong. Out of Toronto. Um, That's cool. This is cute. Yeah, I even went and looked... The company that's involved in the design is um, their website's pretty bare bones. Mm-hmm. Like they don't they don't necessarily say they're like a design studio or anything. They're more of like a like an experience place. Yeah. So they probably do a little bit of everything. But but yeah, it's it's a gorgeous magazine. Yeah, it was in um, it was in episode eight of the Print Design Podcast. Nick Pylon. Um, out of okay. Mosaic. I'm definitely going to go check that yeah, out. Yeah, Mosaic North America. The core project we were talking about in that episode um, was a brand, a big brand book that was done for Budweiser. But he brought up 
um, that Easy Rider rebrand and how it went from that sort of like trashy magazine to almost like the GQ of motorcycles. Like it really it, just yeah, really. turned the corner I'm and were like super classy. So Nick was the first I'm one to sure, point out to me. Yeah, I'm sure coming from that world, like the old diehards are like, what is this crap? It's all hipstery and whatnot. But <laughs> but they did exactly, I think, what they needed to do to keep it alive and bring yeah. it into you know, modern times. Yeah, bring it to just like a fresher new audience who, you know, doesn't want to have, you know, bikini clad women magazines all over their house and, right, you know, exactly. want something that's a little bit more like coffee table, a little classier, right? So they, I think they did a the yeah. good thing. And I still haven't been able to find one of those in person. Every time I go to um, Chapters or Indigo, I go directly to the publications and I'm looking um, at the magazines and I'm trying to find, not only see what's new and cool and what, what different people are doing, but also trying to find a copy of that so I can see it for myself. And uh, I haven't been able to find yeah, one yet. Let me know if you don't luck out. I could always mail you one. Okay. Yeah, and I even looked on quickly online, and there wasn't a very obvious, like, subscribe here or anything. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm sure it's a pretty small outfit that's putting this back out in the world. But, yeah, let me know, and I could help you out. Appreciate that. That's awesome. Yeah, a, a great one, though. A great one that brought up, um, you know, just that rebrand in itself is, is a big move. So... Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, Nathaniel, what was the very first print project that you were ever a part of? The very first one you ever produced? So I don't know if there's any rules on this, but I'm going to go with one that's not a professional print job. Beauty. So um, my mom got us this fancy printer and um, set up at home back in the LimeWire Napster days. Yeah. And, of course, I was making mixed CDs every other day just for the fun of it. Yeah. So I started making specific jackets for every CD, mm -hmm. you know, and kind of switched around where my excuse to make a, like a jacket was like, oh, I should make a new punk slash post-hardcore mix just so I could design the, the covers for these CD jewel case inserts. Mm -hmm. And like, I should have known at the time, like this, you know, kind of means something like why, why do you enjoy this so much? But like a lot of people, I didn't know what graphic design was at the time, but, um, so I would like kind of design it to whatever that mix was like, you know, like this is a, a metal album and I would do my best to put together this gross looking thing. Was, I don't even remember the program I was using it because it wasn't paint. Mm -hmm. It was like kind of built into this template. But um, I remember my mom getting super mad at me because this was back when the paper would just be like almost so wet you could get ink off of it. It would just be all <laughs> wavy and yeah. I'd have to set it out under books to let it dry flat. Mm -hmm. And it actually was a good print lesson because I started designing with less flood color mm -hmm. because we couldn't afford to replace the toner all the time. But... um. That one definitely stands out because I remember how how fun it was and that it was probably my first real introduction to, like, printing. You know, because I drew and did design random stuff at home, but mm -hmm. this was, like, the first thing that I printed and focused on, like, how it was going to print and where the fold was and all that stuff. So that was probably definitely the, the fun one to tell about. And so what were you designing that in? Like, were you just doing it in, like, Microsoft Paint or something? It, it was very similar to that because I remember I couldn't bring images in. Okay. It was the, whatever the software was that um, 
came with all the templates for like the CD sticker, the mm -hmm. insert in the jewel case, and then the sleeve. So it was all kind of laid out for you, see so where you knew, you knew where stuff folded and all that. But mm -hmm. yeah, I wish I could. I tried to find it, and I have no I have no idea what it was. But it was, <laughs> so it was very crude, gross, like blobby brush drawing, just like Microsoft Paint. What's fun about that? Very Sorry. pixelated type. How old were you when you got into that? Ah uh, man, I'm guessing maybe ten. Okay, like, so even as young as ten, what what's interesting there is that. So many designers that I've interviewed from between the Quickie podcast and this podcast came to design through either music and, you know, punk music especially, mm -hmm. or like skateboard culture. Like those were the things that really introduced them to the design world and, and that print world oh. especially, whether yeah. it was T-shirts or jewel cases and, you know, getting these things together. So even as young as 10, there you are cranking away at some, some music stuff, not really knowing where it's going to take you. Right, and I, it's very not original, but I 100% fall into that category of like music, skateboard, BMX. Yeah, that was like my brother and I. Since I can remember, so with BMX, do you remember those little like finger bikes that they had? The little finger BMX bikes. Yes, they had the skateboards first, the uh, tech decks that tech like decks. came out. Yep. But then they came out with, um, yeah, like the like BMX two version. Of them. I think it was like Flick. Flick Tricks or something like that. Okay. And then there was, there was two brands. Mm -hmm. One of them were the bikes, I remember. Actually, I have one somewhere here in my office. That's cool. Um, the bikes were cooler, but then the other one was kind of more like Tech Deck, where it was designed to put your finger in between the handlebars, mm -hmm. like it flexed, so yeah. you could you know, you know, play on their pre-made ramps. Really get stuff. on there, and you're I doing ramps and 360s totally and stuff. I remember those. Yes. Yeah. I never that really got like, into the Tech Decks, but the bike so, ones. This is... This is how nerdy I am. I made a toy BMX bike out of coat hanger and I took, disassembled a toy dirt bike mm -hmm. just to have something to play with in school out of boredom. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. I, before those ex existed. So someone beat me to the punch. Yeah, that's cutting and pasting, man, and doing your own crafts. Like, that's, that's, yep. that's the beginning. Weld. That's the beginning, man. That's where it all starts. <laughs> that's so cool. I'm glad you remember those. Because, um, yeah, I, totally. I love the BMX bikes way more than, like, the tech decks and the skateboard stuff. Mainly because with the tech decks, I could never yeah, do... Yeah, there you go. I could never do any of the yeah. tricks. I could never do them. I just said, ah, forget it. And then I saw the BMX yep. bikes. I'm like, well, I, I can at least hold the handlebars and, like, spin it around a little bit. And so I just got them because totally. it allowed me to actually do something with it <laughs> man that just brings back so many memories in school of like folding my notebook to make a quarter pipe and like nice ah uh, yeah that, i love it totally that's so that. cool um before we do a deep dive into the project that we're going to talk about today i wanted to just get into uh, chat a little bit um a little bit of trouble just to see if you had caught yourself in in any bit of trouble so have you ever been a part uh, of a print project that did not turn out as you had hoped, didn't go well, went off the rails, went sideways. Um, can you tell us about that and your experience with it? Yeah, I wish just for the story that I had like a total F up of a project, <laughs> but thank goodness, like any of those that are potential mm -hmm. problems were ca caught in, at the nick of time. Like, Beautiful. I remember back in the old agency days, or Gosh, that makes it sound like it was forever ago. Back when I worked in the agency. Back in the old agency you know, was, days. I know. I'm not that old, I promise. 
But um, there were so many steps, like, you know, we had our project manager, a proofer, mm-hmm. all, like, usually things got caught. And there's been a few times where, like, a layer was left off or, you know, one specific thing didn't quite show up as bright, yeah. you know, on that particular paper stock or something. But thank goodness I've never had, like, a total uh, crash of a job. A colossal it's disaster. that... Yeah, just little things that we notice, but no one else is going to see. So, sorry, not a fun story. No, but that's the, but that's there. the point of proofing and the point of having you know production designers after you've done the the initial creation, right? For them to go in yes. and sort of craft the layers correctly and make sure that you know understand the paper to a deeper level and how the print project yeah. is going to react on certain papers and things like that. So that's yeah, um, it's an important piece, definitely get a physical proof, yeah. let multiple people see it. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And even before that, just do as much little bits of arts and crafts that you can do at home um, on your little home printer as possible. Even if you're designing a box and you scale it way down so you can fit it on your home printer and you just sort of cut out the die line, see how it all folds together, see how it all comes together. Super important step. Totally. I, that's kind of a rule I always have too is you can proof stuff visually on your screen all you want mm-hmm. but i guarantee you once you print it out especially to scale yeah. there's going to be things that you're like oh i didn't realize that didn't line up or yeah. this is too small or too big and yeah yeah stuff just jumps everything. off right yeah beautiful okay so now i want to do a deep dive into this print project that we are here to talk about i'm going to let you introduce it but let me just pull up a little uh little screen share here so we can see what we're talking about. And I'll take some of these photos and turn this into, you know, Instagram oh, artwork okay, and, and um, share this out on Instagram. So when people are listening to this, they can just do a quick reference over there to sort of see what we're talking about. And, um, and I'll actually also link this uh, in the podcast description. So if somebody is listening and you want to go check out the photos of this piece and um, see what kind of work um, Nathaniel's done over a fully, I'll put all the links in the description there so you can check them out. Awesome. Yeah, this is one of those ones without seeing a, a few visuals. It mm-hmm. probably won't sound all that interesting. Or is no, I, I disagree. I think because the way that I was introduced to this, I quickly just saw one post on Instagram that you put up there. And the caption caught my attention more than the actual photo did because the caption was something about, um, you know, created this book with four different covers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, What? What does he, how, what does he have? So I definitely wanted to um, want to bring that up. Sure. Where do, uh, I guess where, where's the best place to start? Just uh, you know what? Let's start with this photo that's up right now, which is just the piece outside closed, and just give me the story. Tell us what this piece is and how you okay. were brought into it, and um, and what the sort of initial goal was to to create. Okay. Perfect. So this was done at my previous position. I was a designer at NDSU. Our like state's flagship university Mm -hmm. and the project was to kind of make a thousand foot view lookbook of sorts for two different departments and it was dining and residence life okay which thankfully we internally had already recreated the the identities for each of these departments but they came to us and like we want to combine them into one book for budget reasons. Mm-hmm. And at first I kind of internally was like, oh gosh, this is you know gonna be tricky. Mm-hmm. And I hope 
how do we keep this from getting messy? And um, so that's kind of where it started. Okay. And then. Um, so with this piece, sorry, just before you go any further, the idea was to promote these to incoming students or to use as like a, basically a sales tool for prospective little, students? Yeah, a little bit of both. Okay. So it would be probably like incoming and first year students, okay. you know, to try to convince them of like the benefits of living on campus and going with like our dining plan okay. type thing. Yeah. So a little bit of both. Got it. Yeah. So the, right off the bat, the, the tricky part was, okay, well, it's going to be a printed piece. So in my mind, it's like, okay, this has to be somewhat or as engaging as we possibly can. Cause if, you know, working at a university, we print a lot of stuff that just mm -hmm. doesn't need to be printed. And it's, to me, kind of wasteful, but it is what it is. So with this piece, um, right off the bat, we convinced them, like, okay, let's at least do the best we can to make this as nice as it can be. So the budget was there to do something pretty cool. cool. The hard part now, so combining the two, we went back and forth on, like, do we write it as one cohesive thing and just talk about these two departments mm -hmm. um, all with, within the same paragraphs and whatnot? But that, right off the bat, was like, that's going to get convoluted and mm -hmm. way too tricky. So, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to split it into two. Um, so originally then it was just like, okay, first half, second half. Okay. Um, but then I had this cool idea of doing multiple covers. And that's when it kind of hit me. Um, like, this could literally just be a flipped book. And the printer actually came back with a problem. Originally, the the covers were supposed to be all centered within the piece. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, you need to jog it to the top or bottom for automation. Otherwise, this is going to cost you know, astronomical amounts of money. Mm -hmm. So what turned out to be a problem was actually what solidified the ideas because I was made, made a little mock-up and flipping the piece and like, oh, so everything's kind of just the inverse. So like... On the residence life side, everything's jogged to the left corner. We have a little icon in the top right. Mm -hmm. You flip it, everything is now in the top left corner. I got it. Down okay. The other side. And then it just kind of clicked. Like, okay, if we can convince them to write exactly equal amounts of copy <laughs> and ke keep them pretty similar, mm -hmm. we could have it meet, meet up in the middle. And then it sounded kind of funny at first, but I, I was like, let's let's just keep one side upside down. So if the reader doesn't realize till that point what's going on, it forces you to flip it. Yep. And then you kind of just naturally go back to the beginning and like, ah, okay. You naturally get so, the other experience. Yep. So it, it worked out great that it, it separates them. It still feels like one cohesive concept. Mm -hmm. And thankfully too, um, like they weren't drastically different in their overall individual identities like okay. you know similar colors because it's all under one campus yeah and the cover thing was actually one of our ways of kind of hiding some of the differences like they each have iconography style that's specific to them okay but we did a flood of uv ink on that first cover so it kind of downplays their differences and makes them cohesive at the same time mm -hmm. Okay, so on this one, just to sort of map this out for the listeners, we've got 
Um, how many pages was this book in total? About 36. Okay, so the, about 36 pages, okay. including the covers. And on one side, you've got essentially two covers. You've got a, a yellow piece that is sort of short-trimmed and, and resting in line at the top. But then on the other side of this piece, you've got that yellow cover piece that ends up being upside down and like registered to the bottom so yep. that you get almost two completely different experiences within the same piece just by sort of flipping it over. Um, yeah. Now, as the second cover, you've got what looks like a piece of chipboard there. For Is that, a, is that part of the cover or is that part of the design? So that's part, that's another short cover, if okay. that's the correct term. Yeah. Um, so the part of my idea for the, keeping it as interactive as I could mm -hmm. and keeping it from getting tossed in the trash immediately was to make it just weird and unique enough that it kind of forced you to look through this like what is this so yeah. one thing we did too with the, the textures and those elements so the guts of it are just a nice like satin stock okay um but then the short pages like those um quote pages yep. so they're sh um actually i have it written down here we put it on mohawk curious mm -hmm. which has like a soft kind of sandpapery texture to it. Yep. So you have smooth, a little bit of grit, and then the soft touch on the very first cover. Yep. So you get a super wide variety of textures as well. Which instantly makes the, the whole thing engaging. And that's what's so amazing about print is that you can interact with that tactile yeah. sense. Like, of course, you're getting the visual, and you've even got some, like, spot gloss treatments on the outs one of the outside covers. But then you've got a couple of different materials and a couple of other different coatings and, and finishes on different elements, creating this complete tactile experience from smooth to textured to clean white to chipboard and yellow papers and things like that, all creating um, this really unique piece. And not only tactily, but you've got shortened, you've got sort of the bulk pages of the book at a standard booklet size, but you've got short pages, you've got shorter trimmed covers, you've got all these other different elements just creating this depth of layers and experience for the person going through it. Totally. And I, it's kind of fun because, you know, I'm on the higher end of 30 now, but you'd be surprised at how different print is perceived with like a 18, 19 year old now. Mm -hmm. So I actually um, got some good feedback from um, our client on this and what some students said. And it was funny because they were like, had their minds blown because they had never really interacted with print, cool printed pieces yet. Yeah. Everything was just a standard booklet or a postcard to them at that point. So I think we definitely hit the mark on getting them to interact with it and actually engage with it by making everything yeah, you, intentional and just different. Absolutely hit the nail on the head. And that is the trend going forward, basically. And it had already been happening where younger and younger people were see, were searching for really cool publications, not ebooks or things like that, but cool magazines like right. that Easy Rider, right? Like that's one of the reasons they made that move to continue to relate with that younger audience who's seeking these really unique printed experiences, not some totally. digital thing that they flip through on their phone. They're on their phones all the time. They're on their laptops all the time. 
So when you hand them something like this with different textures, different papers, and even smells, like getting in there with different papers and the way that they smell, um, you just create this fully encompassing experience that's going to last in their mind way longer than uh, just a couple of emails with details. Totally. I, we're, I'm sure you've said this before in your podcast, but like we're kind of inversing everything now where mm -hmm. nobody's paying attention to most emails. Yeah. You know, like my spam folder has thousands of stuff in there that I never even looked at, but mm -hmm. a cool printed piece now is what it was when I first got into design, like it's cool and fresh again, which I'm of course super excited about. Absolutely. And this is like the, the same goes with direct mail. Like you just said, there's a lot less oh, yeah. people like emails are just kind of a quick glance and move on and you've already forgotten what it was about. But if you can hit somebody with a great direct mail piece that has a scratch and sniff or you have to like peel open windows or slide things out of an envelope and interact with in some way that lasts way longer and achieves so much more brand recognition than an Instagram ad or an email. Totally. I, and I, I, I still get the hurdle part of it is the unfortunate part is the price of it is going up. Mm -hmm. But I think if it's, it's, it's good for us as designers because most clients recognize if we're going to spend thousands of dollars on a printed piece, mm -hmm. it's got to look beautiful. It's so got to have impact. And this is still good for us in the end. Yeah. And that's been the trend of the print industry for the last number of years. You don't, you don't get very many people coming in who want to print a catalog full of all of their products and send it to everybody. <laughs> no, what you get is you get brands coming in that want to create a really great experience for their targeted customers. So they're creating these beautiful brand books and memorable pieces, these keeper pieces, these higher cost, more premium print runs that are shorter but targeted and that's the way to yep. to handle it right rather than blasting it out there to everybody just make it a great experience and target that experience absolutely yeah so that's what this piece definitely achieved so um we've kind of gone through Thank, some of the materials sorry i should mention thankfully that um our the residence life and dining department yeah. um was the uh, director there was super trustworthy of us and you know like we told them what we wanted to do and that it was going to be expensive but they you know we had proven to them before that we we can hit the nail on the head mm -hmm. and they they let us go with it thankfully because you know stuff like this you you do have to convince them that it is worth it mm -hmm. like we just talked about go through that like why it's worth it but yeah why don't we just print a brochure yeah or put a pdf on the website mm -hmm. you know we get we used to get that too which I understand. But. Yeah, you understand. And to be honest, those things have their place. But mm -hmm. it doesn't. It, it, there's no way it can replace or have the same kind of impact that creating something like this could. Totally. So when you're designing and creating this piece and you've got all of these different, <clears throat> different trim sizes for different covers and you've got these shorter pages and stuff on the, on the inside, how do you set something like that up in your file? And like on the file side, what did this thing look oh, like? Man. This was probably the craziest setup I've probably done for a printed piece, honestly. Mm -hmm. So up until the very end of like final changes and little tweaks, I hadn't fully set it up correctly. Mm -hmm. So it, it did create a whole nother round of proofing because I wanted to make sure 
I didn't jack something up. But, <laughs> so at the very end, I had to flip half of the book. Yeah. Each cover and ins, uh, insert on the inside that was short was a separate InDesign file. Mm-hmm. And I, ha- I made several like very precise mock-ups for the printer because um, just getting this sent over to you, it would be like, what is this? But, <laughs> exactly, um, what is happening here? But yeah, we, we really relied on a local printer that um, we work with a lot, and they based everything off my that mock-up yep. as far as like where stuff lines up and all of that. And so really, in the end, the only thing that was like, you're never fully sure what stuff's going to look like was like the UV and stuff. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I wasn't that worried about this, but yeah, the file... If this, actually, I just talked to um, a designer at at NDSU that kind of took my spot, just for the first time is reprinting this. Yeah, and I apologized to him. I was like, "Man, that that folder is going to look like complete garble to you." So, yeah, the work yeah, the work you found folder. Yeah, it's a, it would be a beast to sort of get all together. So, you had different layers for. Your spot colors, I'm sorry, your um, spot glosses. You've got got a bunch of different elements at different sizes for the different covers and for the short pages. And yeah, the, the best way would just be to print it out and, and mock it up as best as possible. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't think of this at the time, but thankfully we have had a pretty legit printer in the in the office, so I could do everything to scale because yeah. that was there's a lot of very intentional choices of like this cover is just long enough that it covers this part of the next page. So if you look under that first yellow cover, there is some more information on that um, kind of cardstock, like stats and stuff. And I wanted to keep that covered. So there's a lot of those little things that had to be pretty precise when it was all done. Otherwise it'd look a little off, but yeah, they, they did a great job. And so how many of these pieces did you guys end up producing? Um, it was about 10K. Wow, that's a lot. Good. Yeah, so it was, it was up there, which is good because it helped bring the per piece price down. So Yeah, it definitely would. And in terms of return on that investment, um, are you able to speak to you know what it co- actually cost to print 10,000 of these and what they were looking at? sort of in a, in a return because they're producing this to try and sign up as many students as possible for this, um, res, the res life and for the food program, right? Their, right. their dining program. It's been long enough now. I, I'm guessing a little bit, but I do think it did cost somewhere between like, uh, eight to 10 K to print. Mm-hmm. But, um, I know it was very successful, but I never heard any, it's, and that's kind of the bad part about working for such a big um, organization. Yeah, so you don't really get to see the, the final the numbers. numbers. But they just said that it was successful because we did the math. And I think if it was a very low number of students, like if they stayed in the dorm or signed up for um, meal plans, yeah. it kind of paid for this piece pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So it, it really wasn't a hard sell in that aspect. But yeah, I wish I knew more of those details, but just they don't trickle down to the designer. No, even that gives, you know, a, a good general idea. You know, if you're spending eight to 10,000 bucks on printing a piece like this, you get 10,000 copies. Um, you know, you just do the math on how many students that sign up for that, you know, what it's going to cost yeah. to just to sort of recoup your, your investment in it. 
Yeah, and the fact that they're printing it, doing a reprinting of it, it had to have done well. So I was going to say, that's usually a pretty good sign. Yeah. That, yeah, it was a super fun piece. And it was kind of my last big hurrah project before I, I left the university. Yeah. So it was a great way to wrap up my time there. That's so cool. That's a great one. So I want to just sort of go over the, the sort of the top line specs of this piece so that when people are looking yeah. at photos, they can kind of connect the two. So we've got <clears throat> your cover. What is that on an actual yellow stock? No, so the cover and the guts are all on uh, flow, okay. just cover and text weight. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, you probably wouldn't know that because of the soft touch. So that was a way to keep price down, but give the illusion of two totally different stocks. Mm -hmm. And then. So you put then the a soft one, touch coating on that flow. And then yeah, on and top of that, that too, is a spot gloss, right? Yeah, okay. so part of the reason that we did the soft touch was to make that UV, that tactile UV ink really pop because yep. it kind of has to be on a matte or um, non-gloss Definitely. Paper. Yeah, because you'll get a much better contrast that way. Yep, yep. Perfect. And then the next cover is, what looks like, is it a chipboard or is it a... Yeah, so I, I wish I would have taken one photo of that open better, but because I wanted to do full color mm -hmm. on some of the stats that are under there, so... That's where the, um, the paper, the Mohawk Curious came in, is to give it the feel like you're actually holding craft paper. Yeah. We d that is what allowed us to do that and still do full color without having to use real craft paper. Yep, for sure. Plus, if you did a real craft paper, you'd have to put white beneath it. And when yes, you put the white yes. down first, you're just adding extra costs. And Which I love the look and feel of that, but this was our... Our compromise <laughs> for sure yeah. so you've got a mohawk curious paper for that and is that on that you mentioned that that's also on the shorter pages that are put in as well the yep. quote pages yep. right yeah it worked out well because where those quote pages fall mm -hmm. it's like a perfect break point where i try not to have too many heavy content pages back to back mm -hmm. without breaking it up in some way just to you know you see too much copy you kind of gloss over at a certain point so mm -hmm. we put them in there at just the right spot to kind of break up content yeah and i really like the imagery that you've used in this where you sort of taking that hamburger and like blowing up the layers of a hamburger here yeah I, that was a big part too is especially on well on the dining side was just yeah. to show really good food yeah and you know you know how difficult food photography is so <laughs> most of it is actually like stock just because of how time-consuming and difficult the food photography is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a complete other you know, investment. That's that, a whole other world. A whole other world when you're getting yeah. into that stuff. And that's so cool. Okay, so we talked a little bit about the ROI. Now, from the first idea of this, sort of the first meeting of, hey, let's create this booklet that does this, to holding a finished copy in your hand, what is that time frame like? Uh, again, this is a little bit of a guess, but I kind of think it was around like four months. Okay. Um, and this one did take a bit longer printing because I think they had to outsource that cover. Mm -hmm. So that added a, probably a week or two, but yeah, yeah, I would say probably around four months. 
Yeah, which isn't bad. You know, when you got to get copy involved in there, you got to get the design. You're working on materials. You're doing all of those things at the same time. Yeah, and I tried to go back and do my, the math on like design time. Well, granted, I had already recre or already created, the, you know, like the type styles and the iconography. Mm -hmm. But I think the piece itself is probably like a thirty to forty hour design project. Yeah. Too. Yeah, a lot of work goes so up there. Yeah, a lot of work went into that for sure. That's great. Um, yeah, and, and this is what it, it's funny how it works too. This is one of those projects where the client literally changed nothing other than some verbiage. Woo! Like they, they were like, yep, this is great. Right out the and gate. I don't recall any. I know. Knock on wood on that one. Yeah, to be clear, that doesn't happen all the time. That never happens, <laughs> ever. Perfect. But, yeah. Mm hmm. So what, what advice would you give a designer who, you know, sees images of something like this and just goes, man, I'd love to create something like that, who just wants to get started with print design? Where should they start? Uh, I, I think you kind of just have to roll up your sleeves and get stuff made because uh, you're going to make mistakes and learn mm -hmm. about, oh, there's so much to learn, just the, the printing process, paper stocks. And probably the other thing is just get to know a couple good printers. Yeah. Um, if they're good and you can trust them, they'll help you along and look, they'll see your design work and be like, Hey, I see what you're doing here, but if we switch to this stock or, you know, they, they help you mm -hmm. and can kind of guide you along, especially when you're a newer designer, because there's all kinds of stuff you don't know then about like, yeah, like, can't put this ink on this type of paper or this isn't going to show up or you know, like they'll watch out for you so just get to know a good printer and try to uh, even self-initiate projects you know, yeah so make some posters for your friend yeah what i'm hearing you say is really you just get into it and do it and one of the great things now is if you find a local uh printer to you that has a bunch just some digital printing equipment it can be fairly cost effective to start playing around and getting some stuff produced and, you know, making mistakes when you're printing five or six copies only for yourself to learn from is just invaluable. Yeah. And you can, you know, we all want everything we do to get put on press, but mm -hmm. this is a good piece as an example of like, let's say you're stuck doing only digital. There's still a wide open um, lane of things you can do with, multiple covers, weird sizes, mm -hmm. and just the, and still paper stock. So it's, it's kind of overwhelming when you think about it. Yeah. Like you can still, yes, it's still digital printing and it's not a big long run where you're, you know, going and seeing the giant presses, you know, hammering through mm -hmm. sheets, but you can, there's a lot of paper stocks that you can choose to create really unique pieces. And one thing I always oh. encourage designers to do as well is if you are doing that and you're just printing a simple four page or eight page booklet, um, pick three or four different paper stocks and print it out on each one of those. So you can see how the ink reacts with different papers, but also yes. what is your experience like as a consumer and a designer of this piece when you're playing with paper textures and you're playing with finishes and things like that. Totally. Yeah. Put yourself in the reader's uh, driver's seat for sure. When you're going through a piece. Yeah. But yeah, I, that's a good point too, is like, you know, digital's cheap. You can print it on multiple stocks and see which one actually turns out the best or is the brightest yep. or 
yeah. Good. Yeah, one thing in, in print that we often encourage our designer customers to do when they're sending work in is like, you know what, is there any other stocks you'd like to experiment with this on? Because it's very easy to, you know, do the big run and then just throw 50 or 100 sheets of something else in mm -hmm. after you've done the majority of the print because you're all set up in color, you're all set up with size. And just to print it out on a few different papers just to see what True. it looks like and what it does. Yeah, that's a really good point. Is it, I hope the trend kind of reverses. It seemed like for a while there, every paper company was getting, you know, rolled into this other company and stuff was kind of disappearing for a bit there. But it seems like that's kind of slowed down a little bit. What's, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'd be curious what you, from your industry. Yeah, there was a little bit of that see. more from, more from a lot of the, the overseas papers, like in terms of North American mills, like you've still got the gold standard Mohawks and Nina paper, uh, Domtar, um, then over in the UK, you end up with like the Fedragoni stocks and, and, and some really nice things like that. Also in North America is um, Monadnock is another great um, mill. But, you know, a lot of like then there's French paper um, that's out there. There's a lot of great um, North American papers and, and mill manufacturers. Yeah, that would be so. such a bummer, such a bummer if they went away. Yeah, yeah, but you know what's been crazy right now in the print industry is really trying to secure paper and get paper because everybody, all of the yeah. mills seem to be running, you know, short staff. They're behind. They're struggling to get raw materials to ma manufacture, and that just sort of trickles down the line to printers and to designers and people looking for um, paper for their job. Yeah, and actually, I forgot to mention that. So on the reprint of this, the um that Mohawk paper had to be substituted yep. for that exact reason. Yep. It's just not available. Yep, exactly. Or it's available in eight months from now and it's back ordered and or <laughs> right. whatever else, whatever other situation you're in. But yeah, there's a lot of sort of figuring out and compromises happening um, in the print world right now. I imagine that'll settle down in the next year. But um, yeah, for right now, it's, <laughs> it's wild times. Yeah, it's wild. Awesome, man. Well, Nathaniel, um, last question is I want you, uh, where can people find out more about you what's the website what's the instagram handle where can people find you and find your work sure uh the easiest place is studiofoley.com mm -hmm. and instagram is studio.foley okay and i'm not the best at posting work on there but <laughs> i'm getting i was getting back on track good stuff yeah i'll make sure i tag those in the description of this podcast and awesome. um man nathaniel thank you so much for being my guest on the show today no, thank you. This was fun. All right. That is the end of today's episode, everybody. You heard the links, and I'll also put them in the description of this podcast where you can check out Nathaniel and Studio Foley's work. And go to YouTube, look up Print Design Academy, and follow us over on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. We are teaching print over there, talking about inspirational print, and that's where the magic starts. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.